Welcome to the ABR podcast, where some of Australian Book Review's contributors discuss major issues or read their reviews and creative writing. My name's Peter Rose and I'm the editor of ABR. If you enjoy our podcasts, think about subscribing to the magazine. Those 25 and under can do so for as little as $25 for the online version or $50 for print plus online. Melbourne's Moreland City Council recently agreed to adopt a new name after petitioning by Indigenous community leaders and by prominent local non-Indigenous representatives. Petitioners had argued that the name Moreland, adopted in 1839 by a Scottish settler, derived from a Jamaican slave plantation. Renaming the council was an opportunity to bring about the greater awareness of both the global legacies of enslavement and the history of Indigenous dispossession. In this commentary piece, Samuel Watts reflects on the politics of memorialisation and its impact on public conceptions of history. Samuel Watts is a PhD candidate in history at the University of Melbourne. His research focuses on the experiences of African-Americans in the Deep South during Reconstruction. Podcast listeners will recall his earlier podcast about the storming of the Capitol building in January 2021. Samuel Watts. More history, not less. The unnaming of Moreland City Council. On the 19th of November, 2021, a delegation of Wurundjeri, Woiwurrung community leaders and prominent local non-Indigenous representatives presented a letter to Moreland City Council in the inner northern suburbs of Melbourne, asking that the council be renamed. As the petitioners pointed out, Moreland, a name given to parts of the area in 1839 by Scottish settler Farquhar McRae and then adopted by the local council in 1994, was the name of a Jamaican slave plantation to which McRae's family had a connection. Renaming the council, the letter's authors asserted, would be an opportunity to complement the current spirit of truth-telling and reconciliation, bringing about greater awareness of both the global legacies of enslavement and the dispossession of Wurundjeri people in Melbourne, and fundamentally, healing for the descendants of those people and for those who call Moreland home today. The petitioners did not suggest a new name, but asked the council to consult with relevant stakeholders, specifically the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung Cultural Heritage Aboriginal Corporation, in order to establish an alternative name. Elizabeth Jackson, who was mayor of Brunswick when it merged with Coburg to create the city of Moreland, recently noted in an interview on 3AW that there was considerable disquiet in the community over the name in 1994 and active lobbying against it. Yet Moreland was chosen as an effective compromise between Brunswick and Coburg. By late 2021, the political and cultural climate shifted. Within a week, Mayor Mark Riley had agreed to ditch the name and to commit to ongoing community consultation and to consultation with the Indigenous community specifically. On the 13th of December, Moreland Council passed a motion to replace the name in 2022 with a letter of support from the local government minister. Moreland Council not only represents a highly diverse section of Melbourne's inner north, but also includes Australia's second most progressive electorate, according to ABC Vote Compass data. Resistance to this petition would not have been politically savvy, at least in the suburbs of Brunswick, Coburg and Pascoe Vale. Anecdotally, almost none of my neighbours in Pascoe Vale, apart from other historians, 
were aware of the origins of the council's name, nor were they particularly attached to the name. The connection between the McRae family and the slave trade is documented, if sparsely, in the historical literature and has been previously noted on the Moreland Council website and on a council-supplied historical marker beneath the Moreland Road sign. Farquhar McRae's heritage-listed house being one of Melbourne's oldest houses, it is surprising that Moreland's slavery connection was news to the mayor and to the council. McRae's name has been long overshadowed in the history books and in public memory by his more successful, John Pascoe Faulkner, and more monstrous, John Batman, peers. Born in 1807 in Scotland, McRae studied medicine at the University of Edinburgh and demonstrated both skill and ambition in his early professional life as a surgeon. Age 25, McRae injured himself while dissecting a body. This led to an intractable illness from which he never recovered, despite moving his wife and young family to Melbourne in an attempt to benefit from the warmer climate. McRae purchased a rectangular block of land to the north of the city, between the Mooney Ponds Creek and Sydney Road, in what is now Pascoe Vale South, and called it Moorland. La Rose still stands, a beautifully preserved family home built in 1842. Neither the exact nature of the McRae family connection to the plantation, nor McRae's precise motivations for using the name Moorland can be established without further historical research. Whether the McRae family actually owned the Moorland plantation, managed it, or had some other financial interest in it remains an important question, but it is not crucial to the issue of renaming that the council faces today. It seems clear that McRae was purposefully commemorating the Jamaican plantation and perhaps his grandfather, by drawing a connection between the two spaces and linking the process of European colonisation in Australia to the institution of slavery. McRae and his family lived at La Rose for only two years before moving to Sydney, where McRae, whose investments had turned sour and whose medical practice had failed to flourish in Melbourne, hoped in vain for a fresh start. Debts, disagreements and poor health followed McRae to Sydney, where he died six years later at the age of 43. Some advocates for the name change have cited McRae's financial and personal difficulties and the fact that he left Melbourne for Sydney in 1844 as evidence that he was an unscrupulous financier whose various bad deals caught up with him in the end. But this is not supported by the historical record. As historian Douglas Wilkie has highlighted in his recent study of McRae, almost all colonial investors were affected by a severe but short-lived economic depression in the early 1840s, and Farquhar's experience was far from unique. The major historical distortions have occurred during the conservative backlash to the council's decision, most prominently on Sky News and in the pages of the Herald Sun and the Australian. News Corp columnist Caleb Bond described Farquhar McRae as a swashbuckling surgeon and magistrate, a journalistic flourish that is more romance than reality, given McRae's lifelong tribulations. With rather circular logic, Bella Debrera, director of the Foundations of Western Civilization program at the Institute for Public Affairs, suggested in The Age that rather than condemning McRae's pro-slavery sympathies, Moreland Council should be thanking him, for without him, it wouldn't exist. Additionally, as a doctor, Farquhar devoted his life to tending to the sick. According to Debrera, the council should honour him for the service he rendered to fellow human beings, as if a profession in medicine provided a moral carte blanche. What is clear is that McRae was an active participant in the dispossession of Wurundjeri land and that he, or more accurately, his family after his death, profited from it. McRae marked this act of dispossession by naming the land after a Jamaican sugar plantation. Caribbean sugar plantations were brutal places. 
The back-breaking labour of cutting sugarcane was matched only by the hellish work of transforming that cane into crystallised sugar. The process of grinding the cane and boiling it to make sugar was often deadly. Children would work alongside adults in sugar mills and exhaustion could mean losing both arms in the mill grinder or suffering horrific burns in the boiling house. For enslaved people, it meant a horrible combination of the worst aspects of both farm and factory labour. The mortality rates for labourers on sugar plantations in Jamaica, Barbados, Louisiana and elsewhere were extremely high, even by 18th century plantation standards. Renaming Moreland Council provides an opportunity to educate Australians about this history and about the links between slavery in the British Empire and European colonisation of Australia. Historians have already begun this work in earnest. The Western Australian Legacies of British Slavery Project, funded by the Australian Research Council and featuring a team of researchers from across the country, has already made a significant impact in academic circles. See Georgina Arnott's essay, Links in the Chain, Legacies of British Slavery in Australia, in this magazine's August 2020 edition. Public discussion about the legacies of slavery in Australia could significantly improve popular knowledge and understanding of Australian history, how the country was colonised and by whom, and how Australia sits within broader transnational historical narratives. Renaming Moreland could provoke such a discussion. A common tactic among those who oppose such changes is to position themselves as the defenders of history against a rising tide of political correctness. Only by shuttering one's own interpretation of history and its role in society is this perspective tenable. The issue of renaming goes to the heart of history's purpose and function. Is history simply the preservation of the past, or is it something more relational, more abstract, and more to do with the present than we might like to admit? Advocates for change are often accused of presentism in such debates, of applying contemporary moral standards to the past and decrying any individual who falls short of these standards. But these accusations fundamentally misrepresent the task and motivations of the historian. Historians should neither venerate nor denigrate historical figures, but rather seek to investigate how people in the past understood themselves and their place in the world, what historians in the French Annales School termed histoire de mentalité. Moral judgments are necessarily a part of historical scholarship, and to pretend otherwise would highlight either a blindness to one's own individual biases or a complete moral relativism. It would also negate much of the function of history, to continually reinterpret and examine the past in order to better understand and deal with contemporary issues, moral, political, social, and cultural. Those who oppose renaming on principle rightly point out that societal values inevitably change over time and that what is considered acceptable in one era is often unacceptable to us today. It simply does not follow to argue that because we can't change the past, we are somehow restricted in the present or that we therefore should not apply a critical lens to the past. Place names, statues and memorials do not represent historical scholarship, which is constantly changed, debated and amended. Instead, they are often by their nature set in stone and present a simple, celebratory and easily comprehensible narrative to the public. As Zoe Laidlaw, professor of history at the University of Melbourne, told me recently, while we can't change the past, we do choose how we engage with it what events we solemnly commemorate, whom we celebrate, whom or what we condemn. As we make those choices, we demonstrate our empathy, not just for historical actors, but for those in our own times too. History serves the present as much as the past, 
and the removal of a name can provoke a discussion about our history that does more to impact public memory and consciousness than leaving them there ever could. Another common objection to renaming historical places is that it is the thin end of the wedge. If we rename Moreland, what about Melbourne? And what about Victoria? What about, what about, what about? Well, what about it? We live on Indigenous land. And if white Australian identity is too fragile to consider recognising that in our place names, we are far from reaching any form of racial justice, which must ultimately involve both sovereignty and some form of economic reparations. Ultimately, the issue of renaming in Australia is less about condemning a historical figure to the dustbin, but more about thinking practically about what kind of future we want and what kind of country we want to live in. It's about empathy and honesty. It's about recognising more of our history, not less. Thanks for listening to the ABR podcast. We hope you'll join us again next week. If you enjoyed this episode, why not consider subscribing to ABR? Subscriptions start from just $10 per month for digital. Visit our website for more information. We'd like to thank Jack Khalil and Clancy Balin, who edit the podcast, as well as our contributors who take the time to read their articles and creative writing. And if you enjoy listening to the ABR podcast, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes.